Support for Motley Fool Money comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, from Rule Breakers, Aaron Bush, and from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hello, Chris. Welcome to our Thanksgiving special. We're going to give thanks for some stocks. We will call out a few turkeys. And we'll talk boardrooms and movies with Nell Minow. But longtime listeners know that we take our budget for special effects here <laughs> at Motley Fool Radio, and we blow it all on this episode. Steve, <laughs> Steve, Broido, he couldn't even wait. He couldn't wait. Steve Broido, our man behind the glass, going to be lobbing in a few sound effects, and by a few, I mean just one. Um, let's start with a serving of humble pie, which we do every year for our Thanksgiving special. Jason Moser, what is a stock or a business story in 2017 that you got wrong. Stupid TripAdvisor. That's the one. <laughs> mm. um, that doesn't I mean, sound it, so humble. No, it no, was that really... doesn't sound remotely humble. <laughs> Listen, I got this one dead wrong because I really did. I, I really did leap to the assumption that they were making the right call in moving over to the instant booking. Um, Platform of the business really trying to become more of a transactional uh, platform as opposed to just being an informational one where we get information uh, about where we may want to go. And so it's fascinating to see. I mean, the stock is down somewhere like 35% so far just this year. And really, when you look at the when you look at the engagement metrics by every measure, TripAdvisor, the the actual site and app continues to grow. Quarter in and quarter out. I mean, visits are up, reviews are up. I mean, people go there for a reason, but they really, really misjudged the opportunity of of becoming more than just that informational platform. So they invested a lot of money and a lot of time into building that uh, the instant booking platform that then completely flopped. And and a good sign of this, I think I mentioned this a, a couple of weeks back. If you go back two years, instant booking, the term instant booking was mentioned on their earnings calls. 21 times in the most recent quarter. Two years later, just this past quarter, it was mentioned exactly once. And that's not in the good way. So, mm-hmm. it, the stock has really paid the price. Uh, I think Priceline has really shown uh, their strength in this market. They really kind of flexed their muscle, so to speak, as, as uh, TripAdvisor tried to build this platform out. So, it's going to kind of be back to square one. I'm not sure they really know exactly what to do at this point. It wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, the the Liberty TripAdvisor uh, leaders there, Greg Moffey and uh, John Malone, are maybe shopping this thing around. Aaron Bush, what about you? You got some humble pie you want to take a bite of? Fortunately, I've avoided any explosions in 2017, but there are still some investments <laughs> from my past that haunt me to this day. Um, so, so I'll take it back in time a little bit. So, about eight years ago, actually, I purchased. <laughs> when you were in high school? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. But uh, I purchased shares of Atwood Oceanics, um, which at that time was an up and coming owner of oil rigs, jackups, and ultra deep water rigs, essentially. Uh, but at that time, it seemed like it was just going up and up, big contracts, more rigs all the time. 
But I just checked this morning, and this has become the worst investment I have ever made. I've lost something like 95% on this, and it's losing to the market. It could be worse. Probably like 200% or something at this point. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's absolutely horrible. Um, Buy on the dip? No. Nah, there, there's been a lot of dips. What was your main mistake, Aaron? My main mistake was not realizing how volatile oil prices could be, and from that, seeing that there was an oversupply of rigs. But I think that the largest mistake for me with this company in 2017 is I've just wasted so much time thinking about it. Right now, it's less than a 0.1% position of my portfolio, but I probably have spent well over 0.1% of my time here just thinking about what to do with this. The company was acquired by Ensco, and so now I'm thinking about this other company, which is essentially just like, it's a larger version of the same... (laughs) Just garbage. <laughs> is it worth hanging on to a position like I find that sometimes it's worth hanging on to those big fat losers, just as sort of a reminder of what I did wrong, so that I at least have a chance of not repeating the same mistake again. Did do you find that sometimes? Well, that's why I've been holding on right, to it okay, because so. hopefully there's a lesson from here. But if anything, yeah. the lesson is that sometimes things really don't turn around, <laughs> and that you can waste a lot of time. So it really is just a case by case thing. But in 2017. Atwood, now Insco, still haunts me. Jeff Fisher, what about you? So, so far, I must have a giant slice of humble pie for Bitcoin. I have been on this show um, last year at some point, uh, skeptical of Bitcoin when it was several hundred dollars per share or per coin. And it started January, it started this year at $996 per coin. It's now more than $8,000. So, it's up, what, some eight times in value. So I must uh, take humble pie for misunderstanding so far uh, what this thing is. I saw something recently that uh, since Jamie Dimon called out Bitcoin as a fraud, the price of Bitcoin has basically doubled. <laughs> so you know you've got some good company there with Jamie Dimon. Although I, I don't know, is Jamie Dimon a humble pie kind of guy? I don't. Good yeah. head of hair. Good head Not of sure hair. How humble he is. Uh, I'm just gonna say, even though it is it is still early in the game, I've been wrong so far about Snap. Which um, is only down about 25% from its IPO price. Uh, obviously, they would love to be doing better, but I really thought this thing was on a rocket ship straight down. The combination of uh, the way that they treated their potential investors going into the IPO, no voting rights whatsoever. So you're saying this is better than you actually thought it was going to be? Because it's still been downright horrible. It's still better than I thought it was going to wow. be. That plus, I, 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 be, I still believe in my heart of hearts that Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> wants to destroy Snapchat. I, and uh, I, ultimately, he may. But so far in 2017, uh, it's not. I, I've, I've basically been wrong on this one. Uh, let's move from humble pie to stocks that we're thankful for. Jason, what do you got? Yeah, I think back in July we introduced the war on cash basket. I'm calling out four mm. stocks here that I'm very thankful for. That is Mastercard, Visa, Square, and PayPal. I mean, this was uh, for me. I think Chris, we sort of made fun of ourselves every quarter for for a good year, probably when we would cover these companies come earnings time, and then. Ask ourselves sort of the rhetorical question at the end of taping: Why don't we own these stocks again? <laughs> well, finally, you know, I sort of just took care of that and, and bought all four of, of those companies as part of sort of that basket to to get some exposure to the electronic payments uh, 
trend without having to really put all of my chips on one uh, horse, so to speak. But um, to me, the, the, the companies that executed, all four have executed very well this year thus far. Um, all four companies have uh, outperformed the market since uh, July when, when we called that basket out, and uh, thankfully had some folks who listened and bought bought shares of them as well, and have been very happy with their performance. So it's been a very uh, rewarding year thus far for the electronic payment system. Yeah, I've said before on this show that one of the great investing mistakes in my life was listening to Jeff Fisher talk about Visa early in its days as a public company and thinking to myself, boy, this makes so much sense, and Jeff is such a smart guy, and never buying. Aaron There's Bush, still time. Chris. There is still time, absolutely. And maybe before the end of the year, I'll pull the trigger on Visa. Uh, Aaron Bush, something you're thankful for in the world of stocks? Yeah, I mean, sticking to the bundle theme a little bit, I'm thankful for all the gaming stocks that have just been on a huge tear. And to call one out specifically... Video gaming or, or Vegas gaming? Video gaming, <laughs> easily. Hey, there are plenty of people in Las Vegas. One of the same at some point here anyway. I mean, no, I'd rather game and make some money with with these video game companies. And just to call out one particularly, Take Two Interactive has just been a ridiculously phenomenal stock that I have invested in over the past couple of years. This is the company behind franchises like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead, Civilization, NBA 2K, um, and I've been saying for years and years, I think the entire video game industry is underrated. And even after this huge this huge rise, I still think that's the case. I mean, we see digital um, sales just take off. I think now for a lot of these companies, it represents over half of the company's revenue. And so, this is not only higher margin, um, where, where it replaces the middleman, the retailer, um, but it adds new high margin revenue streams just through extra downloadable content. Throw on esports, throw on mobile gaming, throw on this this IP that can then be leveraged in movies and shows and toys and whatever which way. I think I think we still have a long way to go. So I'm thankful for what it's done, but I'm also I think thankful for what it's gonna continue doing. Jeff Fisher. Last year on the show I was thankful for MasterCard and this year I was going to say Square. It's doubled since the summertime. So I'm right there with Jason on Square, but I'll throw in a new one instead. Uh, Paycom, ticker is P-A-Y-C, and they have nothing to do with money per se, except in the sense of their uh, payroll provider for companies, mostly mid-sized businesses. They provide payroll and also human resource management software, all software as a service, all on the cloud. Uh, earnings per share grow, grew 93% last quarter. Revenue was up 31%. They topped $100 million in, in sales for the first time in a quarter. And 98% of their revenue is recurring in nature, subscription-based. So, a very strong company with strong margins and a strong business model. And a lot of runway ahead of it to keep growing. So, I, I've been thankful for it this past year because it has doubled the past year. Paycom has. But I think uh, there should be reason to be thankful for the years to come, too. For me, it's Amazon, which is up about 50% year-to-date, which is certainly more than I thought it was going to be up, uh, more than I would expect in any given year. But to me, it is a uh, it is a reminder, and this is something we talk about all the time, of the importance of diversification. Because while 2017, for me personally, is the year that uh, Amazon was up 50%, it's also the year that I sold my shares of Chipotle at a loss because I could no longer take it. But you know, as we say all the time, that's why that's why we diversify, Jason. Mm-hmm. Talk about your turkeys. That's a big one right there, isn't it? All right, our Thanksgiving special continues after a quick break. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money.
Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Aaron Bush, and Jeff Fisher. It is our Thanksgiving special. And before we get to the stocks that are turkeys, we're going to dip into the Fool mailbag. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. That's radio at Fool.com. From Sean Lee, who writes, First off, you guys are awesome and you are my everything. Thanks, Sean. Wow. That's not overstating it. I don't even get that from my wife anymore. <laughs> Uh, he continues. I was wondering if you could briefly go into how companies are bought. I hear you always mention things like cash only deal, etc. Could you explain the different ways a company can be bought and when certain deals are preferable over others? Uh, certainly, Jeff, companies can pay cash if they're acquiring another company. They can do all stock. They can do a combination of the bo- uh, of both of those. Um, those are sort of the three most common. Right. And one tricky part, of course, is the company being acquired has to agree to the terms. But if you have an expensive stock, say your Tesla and your your stock is a pricey equity, you can use that as a currency to buy something if the other company will agree. So you, you want to use your stock when it's rich, uh, but you can also use cash when it's very cheap to get cash, which is still the case right now with the interest rates very low. So. Uh, those are two cases where you you go to where it costs you less, the least, to to make the acquisition. One of the things we look at at various points when we're looking at management and their track record when it comes to capital allocation is, of course, how they make acquisitions. Is it uh, is there sort of a um, a common approach among different business leaders? Meaning, if a company's in an acquisitive mood. Are they always going to go the same route? Are they always going to go the all-cash route or the all-stock route, or um, or does it just depend? It's a great question, Chris. Uh, one company that comes to mind is OpenText Software, which typically makes about a dozen acquisitions a year, and they vary depending on the size. A smaller acquisition, it may just throw cash at it. Larger one, it throws in stock or and or takes on debt as well, which of course is cash in the end, but. That's a whole other bag of worms when you take on debt just to make an acquisition. So it really varies depending on the the size of the deal. All right, it's the moment we've all been waiting for: the stocks that are turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's the moment Steve Broido has been waiting for. All right, Jason, this is a stock that you would avoid. These are the stocks that we want no part of. What's on your list? All right, and this because I go first, I may be stealing someone's idea here because I actually could have gone one of two ways. Or I'm gonna jump on Snap here, Puris. I mean, I I'm kind of surprised that you thought it was going to be worse than it was because it was really not so so good this year. But I, I have a, I have a hard time seeing the light at the end of this tunnel for at least the near the near term. You know, I, I think. You made a good point in, in in noting that the company was just not set up to be very shareholder friendly. I mean, shareholders have virtually no say so whatsoever. Uh, these guys are going to have a massive drag in the form of shareholder uh, of share of share uh, base compensation here in, in the coming in the coming years. I mean, that is going to tamp down earnings potential for some time to come. There's no real clear path to profitability. Now, it's not to say that they can't be. A good investment someday. I, I do think there is a lot of innovation there, and they're tapping into something with the creative nature of the platform. But I think on its own, Snapchat is very limited in its core purpose in the, the audience that it can grow. So I think, at least in the near term, it gets worse for these guys before it gets better. It's not to say it can't get better, but I don't think it's going to happen in 2018. <laughs> Aaron, what about you? So I actually was going to say Snap too, but I'll, I'll say don't. something. I'll say something else. <laughs> but but one stat that just says so much to me about Snap right now is that over the past quarter and the past year, they've burned more money in free cash flow than they've made in revenue. 
<laughs> yeah. So that's so. I mean, they're still a fifteen billion dollar business, and they have fallen some, but unless they can really dig out of that hole, it's it's hard to see it as even a five five billion dollar business at this point. I mean, it's a lot working against them. Yeah, but my plan B is to say Blue Apron. Um, Blue Apron is just yeah, it's it's an absolute turkey. It's it's honestly one of the worst business models that I've probably run across, you know, in public markets. The unit economics are just absolutely terrible. They spend tons of money on marketing to bring in these customers. Um, but the retention rates are so awful and the margins are so thin on food that they're not keeping people around long enough to to cover the cost to acquire them. So you see it's not as bad as Snap and how much money they're burning, but I mean it's probably something like for every dollar they bring in in revenue they're losing 20 to 30 cents on each of that. So I mean <laughs> Do you yep, think you definitely. Get turkey blue apron. <laughs> so 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 yeah, I mean I think they realize they definitely recognize that they should not have IPO'd when they did, and that they need to make some serious changes in how they keep customers and how they acquire customers. Because if they keep keep things up at this rate, it's just going to be even more downhill from here. Well, they could always become a camera company. And that's one risk. You IPO when you have to. It was yeah. maybe their Hail Mary pass. Like, we need to raise money now. <laughs> so we can spend more on marketing. Yes. Jeff, what about you? Oh, man, you could talk about so many companies that had a dismal year, whether it's Sears, JCPenney, Fossil Watch, or Pier 1. Or Blue Apron, but I had to go with a giant, and that's General Electric. Really? Stock is down 42% this year to a six year low. The pain that it has inflicted on itself the last 10, 15 years was all self inflicted. A lot of it shockingly happened during Jack Welch's watch. And, you know, in 1999, he was named Manager of the Century. But it just goes to show you need to give this time more more time to marinate before you can really judge someone's career because he made all these acquisitions, and uh, introduced some some questionable accounting as well, that has since just caused the company to go not belly up but to, to face a lot of pain. It's been, it's been a turkey. It's ha- it's been beheaded basically. Oof. So uh, new CEO John Flannery, you're not you're not buying shares of him. Well, he he has a lot more work cut out for him than just one year's work. That's why I can say it's a turkey for this this coming year. But Jack Welch and Jeff Emelt, both uh, highly regarded managers, were misjudged. Uh, GE just announced, of course, that it's cutting its dividend. So here's a company with a hundred billion dollars in revenue, and they have to cut the dividend. They've been around since you know, 125 years, and they're struggling badly. Steve Bredo, you want to weigh in before we go to break? Uh, Chief of Pharmaceuticals. That that <laughs> one has been a giant turkey. I don't know if anyone's following that, but it's not done well, and uh, I own that one, so that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason Moser, Aaron Bush, Jeff Fisher, guys. We'll see you a little bit later in the show. Coming up, we are going to check in with our most frequent guest here at Motley Fool Money, and of course, it's the one and only Nell Minow. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Hey, before we get back to the show, I want to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Getting a mortgage, refinancing your existing home loan, these are not simple things. And when you're making a big financial decision, you want to be as confident as you are in your job, in your life in general. And Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple. 
Rocket Mortgage allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. So much happening in the boardrooms, and Hollywood is making its final push for award season. So, of course, we turn to our favorite corporate governance expert slash film critic, <laughs> Nell Minow. She joins me now from Washington, D.C. Hi, Nell. Well, hi. Let's start with this. Uh, earlier in the month, we had Michael Lewis on the show, and when I asked him what he sees when he looks at Wall Street, he said that he is struck by the continued absence of women in critical jobs. And he's amazed that there has not been more of a gender movement on Wall Street, which leads me to the topic that has been dominating the headlines in politics and entertainment, and that is sexual harassment. When it comes to corporate America, how are boards dealing with sexual harassment? Very poorly, if at all. Um, this is a true story. I, I re, some years ago got a call from a um, reporter that a uh, CEO of a Fortune 500 company had been accused of sexual harassment, and they asked me what would happen next. I said, "Well, the, you know, who knows whether it's true or not? But he, the board has got to look into it. They have to convene a committee of independent directors and hire counsel." which they did, but the counsel they hired was somebody who had done a lot of work for the CEO before. So, of course, you know, I said I didn't think that was such a good idea. And the company's official response was, oh, we would do that if he was innocent. Wow. Yeah. So, no. I, and by the way, he later lost his job. So, I, I do think that, um, that this is a severe risk issue that boards need to be aware of. We've seen some very high-profile cases uh, where CEOs have uh, have been embarrassed, and the company's been embarrassed, and they've lost their jobs. And I think that, um, you know, it's icky, and it's gross, and it's personal, and nobody wants to get involved with it. And so they hand somebody a guidebook and uh, make them watch a, a video, and they figure that they're on top of it, but they're really not. And I think it's important for companies now to begin by listening to the women. I think that the most important thing to come out of this latest and ongoing series of shocking revelations is that um, what we thought of as being kind of a, an, an individual problem in a few isolated cases turns out to be kind of a, a systemic problem and, uh, and something that every organization has to look at carefully. When it comes to Wall Street itself, are you surprised that there hasn't been more of this type of news coming out of Wall Street, or is it because it is such a male-dominated industry that uh, just the law of averages says that there are going to be fewer cases compared to, say, Hollywood or politics? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, dogs that don't bark. It is a very hostile uh, environment for women, and so they leave. And, uh, and the same is true, of, uh, I think, of uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, so, um, I think we're going to be hearing uh, revelations about Wall Street, about Congress, about uh, just about every other, you know, academia. I think we're going to be um, listening to these stories for quite a long time. Gretchen Morgenson, the longtime uh, columnist from the New York Times, uh, recently stepped down after two decades in that role. And uh, I was very pleased to see that in her final column, which got a lot of attention, and rightly so, 
you were mentioned, uh, and you two had a conversation about corporate governance and and sort of the evolution of boards, uh, certainly in the t- last couple of decades that she's been writing that column. What, if anything, has gotten better over time, other than the fact that there is more sunshine, there there is more transparency, we're paying more attention to boards, but other than that, which almost seems like table stakes at this point, when you look at corporate boards, what, in your mind, has been the single biggest improvement? The single biggest improvement is that I would say every director is more active and more engaged uh, than when I first got involved. It was not unusual when I first became um, uh, involved in this industry that directors would say to me, well, the board is there to act in case of emergency. And I would say, no, no, the board is there to prevent emergency. <laughs> and let's, let's get this straight. Um, and as I told Gretchen, uh, when I first uh, started working in this field, O.J. Simpson was on five boards, including an audit committee. And that's not happening anymore. There was a father of the CEO was on the comp committee at a publicly traded company. Um, so that kind of ridiculous, and we all remember Beverly Sills being on a board and Nancy Reagan being on a board. That's not happening anymore. Um, so I would say the boards are more qualified, more engaged, uh, more aware of their responsibilities. On the other hand, the downside of uh, Dodd-Frank and Sarbanes-Oxley is that they're overly focused on compliance and not enough on uh, strategy and risk management. Um, there's not enough uh, climate expertise, not enough cybersecurity expertise on boards. We're still doing a terrible job on diversity. And, of course, CEO pay is still a problem that is far from being solved. Let me go to General Electric, because GE has a new CEO, John Flannery, and uh, not only has he made it clear that there are no sacred cows at the company and, and divisions will be cut back or sold off altogether, uh, the latest twist is GE's board of directors, which had 18 people on it, and that's now being cut down to 12. My first question is, when you saw that news, what was your gut reaction? It's about time. Just too many people on the board? Yeah, absolutely. We found uh, in my old company where we rated boards of directors that optimal was 8 to 12. And basically, if you have to use electronic amplification to hear each other in the boardroom, that's too many people in the boardroom. Uh, You need to have uh, a a good, strong relationship um, uh, between every member of the board. And I uh, had a talk um, just a few days ago with uh, some board members at Oxy, and they were telling me that they're doing less work in committees and more work in the board as a whole, and that they've um, they found that that's much much more effective. And I I support that. I'm I'm not trying to impose some kind of cookie cutter on everybody, but generally speaking, I think that's right. So I think you know he's doing exactly what I hoped that Immelt would do. Uh, nobody could hold that weird group of assets together the way Jack Welch did. And I hope that somebody would come in, like Michelangelo, seeing the horse inside the block of stone and get rid of everything that wasn't the horse. And I think that it's long overdue to have that kind of uh, zero-sum assessment of all the assets in the company. So, when a new CEO of any company walks into the corner office, presumably they are given some amount of latitude in terms of what they're going to do with the business. In your mind, to what extent should that extend to the board of directors? Because I could see the reaction of at least some people 
not me and clearly not you, but I could see the reaction of some people looking at what's happening at General Electric and saying Flannery is flexing himself. Yeah, he's flexing his muscles a little too much and it should be a little more church and state and the board is the board and he can do whatever he wants regarding the operations of the business, but leave the board alone. Um, sure. Uh, I do worry about that. And there have been cases where a new CEO comes in and brings in all his guys <laughs> to, uh, to be on the board. Um, but I think as long as the board itself um, does the nominating and evaluation of its directors, I think they're probably in pretty good shape. And uh, so I, I'm very encouraged by this. But of course, we'll be watching them very closely to make sure that they are not just a bunch of yes men. We're going to get to movies in a second. And of course, this is the, the final push for award season for Hollywood. But it's also award season in the business world where different entities are naming their business leader of the year. Uh, with that in mind, is there any CEO or board that you want to call out and give an award to? I would give an award to the small group of CEOs who have spoken out against uh, Trump's uh, backing out of the uh, Paris Accords, the ones who have stood up and said, we are business people, we understand risk, we understand strategy, we understand sustainability, and that's not good for business. And so uh, that all of those guys uh, get my uh, vote for CEOs of the year. I'm going to start uh, with movies in, in kind of a, a nerdy direction, and it's documentaries. And it's because earlier this year, I got the chance to interview uh, Steve James, uh, who directed uh, Abacus, uh, Small Enough to Jail, and uh, Ted Braun, who's the director of the documentary about Herbalife called Betting on Zero. Do either of these films have a shot in your mind at a Best Documentary nomination? Because I, I thought they were both phenomenal. They're both great. I would love to see them get a nomination. I don't think that either one of them is a front runner for, um, for an Oscar because generally the Oscar films like ones that are more heart-wrenching. But boy, Abacus, not only a great business story, not only a total slam on Cyrus Vance Jr., uh, which is long deserved, but also what a story of a family. That family, and I was privileged to interview two of the daughters in the family, that family sticks together with such dignity and courage and resilience. Uh, it was just a, a wonderful film to watch. I'm really happy that it was on PBS. I agree with that, although I, the fact that Bill Ackman, who is a billionaire activist investor, ends up essentially being the sympathetic protagonist <laughs> of Betting on Zero is an that almost in my mind deserves its own special award like a, a separate one off because Bill He's Ackman an underdog all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah and and for all for all the coverage of Bill Ackman uh, doesn't really come off uh, in his day-to-day -day life like that so the fact that he does in the film is amazing to me it it is but uh, but I have to say I think he's right about Herbalife you're not the only one what are, in the bigger sense and sort of the big awards, uh, obviously everyone's going to see Star Wars. And I'm assuming you've already bought your tickets to see Star Wars. But I get to see it early because I'm a critic. So, I know. Uh, and that's, isn't that the nice trade-off for all the direct yes, movies? Yes, <laughs> all the buddy cop movies, all the teen comedies. Yeah, absolutely. That's, the, that's my dessert. 
So other than Star Wars, in terms of films, whether they are gunning for Best Picture nominations or whatever, what should we be on the lookout for this holiday season? Well, I'm very excited about The Post, the story of The Washington Post and the Pentagon Papers. I think it's you know, very, very timely and uh, you know, it's got great people behind it, uh, Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg, uh, and an amazing story. So I'm super excited about that. Um, the Darkest Hour, uh, another true story with Gary Oldman and what I can guarantee you will be an Oscar-nominated performance as Winston Churchill. Um, absolutely brilliant film. It focuses on just a few weeks in his life from being a, made prime minister to Dunkirk, and I thought it was just fabulous. And then one you might not have noticed, but I think is going to be big, is called The Shape of Water with Sally Hawkins, a um, kind of a sci-fi mystery that looks really intriguing. There's a sort of under-the-radar small film called Last Flag Flying with uh, Steve Carell and Lawrence Fishburne and Brian Cranston, and I believe uh, Richard Linklater is uh, is the director. that strikes me as, and we've talked about this in years past, that strikes me as possibly a wonderful adult movie uh, because there are obviously the sci-fi movies, Star Wars, etc., and then there are movies like Pixar's latest, Coco, uh, which will attract a lot of families. But uh, I, I'm always on the lookout, and I'm clearly showing my age here, for those movies that are sort of in the middle, and I'm wondering if you've seen it uh, and have any thoughts on it. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent movie. First of all, you're never going to see three better actors together in a movie than those three guys. And it is a touching, touching story. It's kind of a loose sequel to a movie from the 1970s, The Last Detail, with uh, Jack Nicholson. Some of the characters have the same names, and it's kind of related, and the same guy wrote it. But um, it is so touching as these three guys who fought together in Vietnam uh, get together after not having seen each other for many years and go on a trip to retrieve the body of uh, the, the one's uh, son who was killed in, uh, in Afghanistan. And um, obviously they have a lot of ups and downs along the way, but the ending is so powerful and the acting is so brilliant. It's a wonderful film. It does seem like when we look back on 2017 in terms of movies, one of the big stories of the year is going to be Wonder Woman, uh, not just as a breakout hit movie and star with Gal Gadot, but also Patty Jenkins, the director. Given what we've discussed and, and what we've seen over the last few months in terms of sexual harassment and sexual abuse in Hollywood... It, is there a glimmer of hope that more Patty Jenkins of the world are going to get to helm uh, not just independent movies, but larger budget movies? Yeah, we've got Ava DuVernay with uh, Wrinkle in Time coming up. They just released this weekend the new trailer. It looks dazzling. And so, yes, I definitely think so. There have been outstanding films uh, at all levels of budget uh, directed by women this year. And... Um, I, there was a great piece in the Huffington Post by Catherine Michon, who is a writer and director and an actress, and she says if uh, the Weinstein Company wants to stay in business, they should just make a pledge to only hire women writers and directors for the foreseeable future. And I think that would be a really good step forward. Before we wrap up, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, what's a movie that everyone should watch? And it can be 
family-based. It can be food-based. When you think about Thanksgiving, what do you recommend? I recommend a wonderful, wonderful movie, What's Cooking, by the director of Bend It Like Beckham, which is about four families getting ready for Thanksgiving. It is absolutely terrific. It's got a great cast. And then if you just want a fun family movie, try Danny Kaye in The Court Jester. I guarantee you, everybody in the family will love it. One of the best reasons to be on Twitter is so that you can follow Nell Minow. You can get her thoughts on corporate governance, movies, and so much more. Nell, have a wonderful holiday. We'll talk Academy Awards next time. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Movies is movies Magic. Up next, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser, Aaron Bush, and Jeff Fisher. Time to get to the stocks on our radar. And our man behind the glass, Steve Rota, will hit you with a question. Jason, you're up first. What are you looking at? Yeah, one I had to dip a toe in the water personally here recently. Uh, I like playing into those big long-term trends. I think healthcare is, of course, one that's going to be around for quite some time to come. And uh, Teladoc, a company I've mentioned here before, TDOC is the ticker. Uh, they are an internet healthcare provider, essentially trying to scale uh, healthcare services beyond just that uh, traditional going to the doctor's office and waiting for half the day. Uh, companies really producing some fascinating growth rates. Grew organic, uh, organic revenue this past quarter 45%. They have grown uh, their active uh, membership base to a little bit more than 21 million uh, folks now. They provide directly to businesses. They provide as supplements to bigger healthcare providers. Um, so, as the internet has disrupted virtually everything in our lives, uh, the internet is also starting to disrupt healthcare, I think, in a good way. And Teladoc is, uh, is helping play a part in that. Steve, question about Teladoc? How do they deal with malpractice insurance? Especially, probably, they're across state lines, so you probably have all different states involved here. How does, how does that work? Well, I think, generally speaking, uh, you're looking at probably insurance companies wanting to erase that state line issue. But you're right. I mean, they, they still, at its core, it's a network of doctors. So, those physicians still have to uh, insure themselves in some way, shape, or form. I think, ultimately, those, this is all in the effort to bring down healthcare costs, which hopefully uh, will bring down those insurance costs along with them. Aaron Bush, what are you looking at this week? I'm looking at Stitch Fix, which IPO'd last week. It's a $1.4 billion company. Kind of they would say changing retail a little bit, apparel. Um, every month, you can sign up for a subscription, and monthly, they'll send you a box of clothes. You can Five items, you can choose what are the five items you want. If you choose all of them, you get a discount. Um, and the service learns over time what styles work best for you. The company is growing. It's making money. I think it's kind of interesting. And the ticker? SFIX. Steve, question about Stitch Fix? Is Stitch Fix profitable? Yes, they are profitable. They actually have positive free cash flow right now, and it's looking to get better as more people come on board and they raise their retention rates. So, at the surface, it looks pretty promising. Less than a minute, Jeff Fisher. What are you looking at? All right, Coherent ticker is C O H R. They are a manufacturer of laser machines, which companies use to then manufacture whatever they want to. Mostly, it's consumer electronics or medical devices, or it's used for materials processing, or even welding uh, for electric vehicles and battery packs right now. So, as lasers become integral to more and more manufacturing, uh, Coherent is 
its business is growing strongly, sees a record 2018 ahead. Steve? Uh, what is your favorite aspect about this company? I think, Steve, it's the large addressable market that it faces over the coming years and the way that what they offer is essential to production of semiconductors and all these electronics. You can't move away from that. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer, Steve Roido, our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next week. 